Podcastle, episode 108, for June 15th, 2010. The Goats Are Going Places, by Tina Connolly. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and I'd like to be the first to welcome you to your summer vacation by saying school's out for summer, school's out forever. At least, for some of us. The rest of us have pretty much forgotten what summer break is. We've inherited real life and all the pain, dullness, and beauty that comes with it. And yet, while I can say I have some fond memories of high school, meeting my wife, starting to write creatively, swimming, listening to Pearl Jam, being kind of shocked by seeing the video for Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, I'm not terribly nostalgic about my own high school years. College is slightly different. I have a real love-hate relationship with my college years for a number of reasons, probably mostly because I feel like I started to really find myself and rebel a bit in college. In high school, looking back, it feels like I was just another part of the status quo. The funny thing is that I really get a kick out of stories that take place during high school. I guess the caveat is, as long as they're good. For example, one of my favorite TV shows in recent years was Veronica Mars, a story about a teenage girl who helps her private detective father out with cases, including the murder of her best friend. It sounds a bit Nancy Drewish, I know, but Veronica Mars talks as tough as Philip Marlowe. Really, she delivers the word frack better than the majority of the BSG cast members, has just as much angst as Buffy, and could flat-out kick Nancy Drew's ass. Also, she's happy to be a rebel and upset the status quo, which gets me all Simple Minds, Judd Nelson, fist pump in the air, breakfast clubby. And so, in the spirit of that elusive summer break, we're going to take you all back even further than high school this week to those young, awkward years of junior high with a young adult story. I'm very happy to present The Goats Are Going Places by Tina Connolly. You all are hopefully familiar with Tina Connolly. Tina's one of the few writers who's had her stories published on all three Escape Artist podcasts, and she's read stories for two of them. Maybe she'll be the first person to have both published and read something for all three. She lives in Portland, Oregon, and is currently gearing up for her summer job of face painting at festivals around the Pacific Northwest. Awesome. The Goats Are Going Places was originally published in the Australian YA magazine Shiny. You can find out more about Tina at tinaconnolly.com. This week's story is narrated for you by Melissa Bouguet, who with her husband Chris runs my daughter's favorite podcast, Nightlight Stories. It's a really sweet one, folks, and if you have young kids, I highly recommend checking it out. Melissa's the mother of two tenacious children, has been a teacher for 10 years, and has a master's in special education. You can find her podcast at www.nightlightstories.blogspot.com. So... Keep an eye out for the mean girls, be true to your school, and enjoy the story. The Goats Are Going Places by Tina Connolly Once, in the most boring lunchroom of the most boring junior high school in the world, there sat a girl who refused to be bored for one more minute. Renee Ryder cut pee and found some interesting girls who liked to hang behind the shop building and get artistic with spray paint. She decided to be their leader. With Renee in charge, the girls got very good with spray paint. In the amount of time it took a red light to change, they could paint an entire ocean on a car with goldfish and seahorses and two dolphins doing it. 
But then they got busted for tagging the vice principal's minivan, and then Renee was snarky and got expelled, which was fine with her because she'd mastered both the graffiti and the girls by now, and it was all so boring. Renee's parents shrieked, which was also boring, but then Renee's Aunt Simone stepped in and said Renee could come live with her and go to the very best junior high in the city. Renee's mother, who often called her sister something rhyming with witch, cackled. Whatever happens to you, you'll deserve it, she said. Six bedrooms, a hot tub, my own flat screen the size of a bed? You bet I deserve it, said Renee. She packed her ripped jeans and her cans of spray paint, her old teddy bear, and her lighters, and went to live on 1313 Strega Place with her aunt. She found out that night that her suitcase had been confiscated, and she shrieked. Shrieking ran in the family. Stuff it! said Simone. I'm taking you to rich-ass big-name department store. You're going to a good junior high now. They have college prep classes. The kids there are going places. Do they wear penny loafers? said Renee, thinking back to teen movies she had seen on late-night TV. Simone adjusted the zip-zap designer sunglasses she always wore inside. What you need is a cohort. Her aunt brought along Merrill from next door. Merrill was wearing a pink hoodie with a row of smiling skulls over a fighting goat's tee, and Renee thought that the girls at the school might be cool after all. I'm Merrill Huntington, said Merrill, but we go by last names in our group. Call me Hunt. Nifty, said Renee. Who started that trend? I did, said Hunt. Merrill is a name for some girl who plays the bassoon and has peanut allergies. I'm only that on college applications. You're a frosh and you're applying already, said Renee. Honestly, that's a little mental. Pre-college, Hunt clarified. Internships, summer programs, etc., etc. But I like your snark. What do I call you? Rider, I guess. Hunt nodded. Good one. She turned to Renee's aunt. Look, Ms. S., this might take a little while. It's best if you let me have the credit card, she winked at Simone. Excellent said Simone. She tossed a gold rectangle at Hunt and winked back. I'll be in pointy hats. Hunt was not boring. Everything Hunt told her about the group was not boring. There was so much new to this game of shoes and internships and student council and prom that before Hunt had even halfway maxed out Simone's credit card, Renee had decided that rising to the top of the group was going to be her new cure for boredom. When Simone came into her room that night, she found Renee trying on outfit after outfit, scribbling notes in a blue-lined book. It's better to be on the tennis team than the basketball team, she told her aunt. Cheer is okay, too, but only if you're on the Nets, the top squad that does gymnastics and goes to meets, not the reject squad. That's just there to make it with boys. Things certainly have changed since my day, said Simone. We weren't quite so methodical. Renee looked at her aunt from behind a batwing collar. Nobody else is this methodical, she said. The group interests me, and you should call me Ryder now. Everybody else will be. In my day, said Simone, tapping those zip-zap sunglasses, we also said thank you for new wardrobes. That's an interesting data point, said Ryder. If I get totally bored again, maybe I'll take up American history instead. Something pre-Civil War. 
she twisted to look at the blue and gray shorts she wore emblazoned on the rear with the school logo of the fighting goats. And by the way, I need unlimited texting on my new cell. When Ryder entered the good junior high next morning, she looked rather different than the Renee who had run the most memorable prank in her old school's history. Her shirt was the right length, her jeans were the right shade, her hair fell at just the right swing. Hunt introduced her to the group, and Ryder studied them all with careful and hidden eyes. She imitated the new rules so well that she slid into their niche like she'd been born to it. Whatever she hadn't learned from Hunt, she learned herself by observation. By lunchtime, she knew that her belly button ring would be in, but talk of graffiti dolphins would be out. By last hour, she was head of the homecoming committee, and by Friday, she had everything a girl in the group could need but a boyfriend, and that was a matter that took serious consideration. Things went incredibly smooth for a little while, and her grades even improved, because to be part of the group, you had to be going places, and you couldn't do that if you didn't pass algebra. Ryder cracked books and caught right back up so that she could turn her attention to more important things, like Fletch. Fletch wasn't at the top junior high. He was at the top high school. He was a lofty and gorgeous junior who flipped pizzas at Blue Moon Pizza to save up for his dream car, an XB Griffin 3000 in yellow. Blue Moon was where all the goats went before the football games, and sometimes he sat down at their table to hang out with the group, which meant really to sit with Hunt and Ryder. Hunt and Ryder were the bestest pals now, but for all Ryder's hard work, she was still second to the girl with the pink skull hoodie. Hunt remained the number one girl in the best junior high in the city, wittier than Keys and cuter than Simps and going places faster than Brock. But the two girls both crushed hard on Fletch. Hunt even dropped Martinez to chase Fletch, and they'd been going together since the dark ages of grade school, so that was big news. Fletch took Hunt to the movies and to the park, and then apparently they even did something behind the swings, although Hunt wouldn't say for sure. So Ryder kicked all her skills into overdrive and got Fletch to take her for ice cream and to bowling, and then back behind the bowling alley, she let him kiss her a whole bunch. Come on, said Fletch. You want to make me happy, don't you? You're way cooler than that other girl. Aha, said Ryder. So you and Hunt didn't do it. Fletch leaned back and considered her. He was mostly transparent to someone as hip on studying people as Ryder, and so she knew he was wondering which answer was more likely to work on her. No, he said at last. He grinned, and even though he was transparent, Ryder still went all melty at that lazy smile. But I think she will, if I agree to go out with only her. She leaned back against the wall breathless. And are you going to? It's tempting, he said. Plus, she has a pool. I'm a sucker for girls in bikinis. Hmm said Ryder. For all her knowledge about the group, there was still one thing she wasn't dead positive on, and that was whether or not making it with Fletch would work in her favor or not. All the girls swore they hadn't gone that far yet, just like all the boys swore they had. Her intuition told her that it was probably best to be not the first, but the second or third. But letting Hunt be the first with Fletch would not suit her plans at all. And then she figured it out. I need a car, she told Simone that night. 
"'You can't drive till you're sixteen, said Simone. "'I know,' said Ryder. "'Duh, but I need something to beat Hunt, "'and that something is a high school boy. "'Otherwise, I'm in second place forever. "'But if I have a car, I can let Fletch drive it. "'He's a junior, but he has to save up for one himself "'cause his parents are lame-o. "'I thought your problem was that bad junior high,' said Simone. "'Your mother had the same trouble when she was your age "'until I helped her change her ways.' "'But I got you into a good school, "'and you still aren't turning your brain power "'to anything better than the group.' "'The group is everything,' Ryder said. "'If I can get Fletch, then I can run the entire school. "'I told him I can have your convertible tomorrow night "'and will let him drive me to the football game.' "'She snapped her fingers. "'He agreed to drop Hunt like that.' "'Hunt's been a good friend to you,' said Simone. "'You're not acting very grateful to her.' Oy, said Ryder. That's how group dynamics are. You have to play people. You're too old to get it. Simone fingered her zip-zap sunglasses. And you certainly aren't acting very grateful to your aunt. Gratitude is an emotion best left to the working class, said Ryder. If you start acknowledging people who do basic services for you, you're letting them know they have power over you. Just think if you allowed your garbage man to run your life. She climbed into bed and tucked herself in. Turn off the light, Miss S. Certainly, said her aunt. Simone flipped the light switch, and in the dark, the zip-zap sunglasses came all the way off. Her bright green eyes focused on Ryder's oblivious head. Ryder's blonde shag separated, sprouted upward, curled forward. Ryder's nose lengthened. Her chin sprouted a beard. Sleep well, my stubborn little goat, said Simone. Morning dawned with a shriek from the third-story bedroom. Where are my mirrors? Out for cleaning, Simone yelled back. How am I supposed to get ready? Come down for breakfast, dear, said Simone. I'll tell you if there's anything on your face. A girl with a goat head pounded down three flights of stairs to her cereal. I'm starving, she said. I could eat your whole dining room table. How about some oats instead, said Simone. She set oatmeal in front of Ryder. Does my nose look red? said Ryder. I feel stuffy. Simone peered at the leathery brown nose. Nope. Except you can't really tell behind those sunglasses, said Ryder. Look, you'll clear all your work stuff out of the convertible, won't you? I don't want Fletch to be grossed out by its appearance. Certainly, dear, said Simone. She kissed one of Ryder's curly horns and shooed her out the door. Several boys honked at Ryder on the way to school, but she was used to that now that her jeans were fitted instead of ripped and her tops were cropped instead of death metal. Dude, who's that? said one of the football players as she came in the door. Ryder, of course, said Ryder, because even the football players should know her name by now. Awesome school spirit, he said, and gave her a thumbs up. Ryder smiled and continued on to algebra. Good God, what's that? said the teacher, and then there was shocked silence. Ryder sat down. Is that for the game tonight? said Mr. Hamilton. Ryder looked down at her blue and gray fighting goats fitted tee and said, Yes, of course. Can you see out of it? Um, said Ryder. Look, you don't have to take it off, said Mr. Hamilton, but sit in the back so you don't distract anybody. 
Ryder picked up her backpack and moved. She was pleased by the idea that she could distract boys now with just a fitted tee, but she was more than a little disconcerted by his mention of taking it off. Second hour English passed much the same way as algebra, with the added component that her English teacher clasped her hand to her heart and said something about being enamored of an ass. The girls from her group looked at her sideways and Simp sniffed the air quite a lot. The classroom did smell different than usual, a little bit peaty. After English, Ryder went straight to the girls' bathroom, and there Ryder shrieked. By lunchtime, she had recovered enough to pretend that, yes, it was all a stunt for the football game that night. It really seems like the mouth moves when you talk, said one of the boys in the group. How do you do that? My aunt's in special effects, said Ryder. Isn't it hot? I'd sweat my face off if I wore it all day. From down the table, the girls of the group were giggling, their shoulders hunched away from her. No, not very, Ryder said miserably. It looks furry. Can I touch it? Ryder bent her head across the table and let him rub the gray hair. Awesome, he breathed. Hey, Martinez, come feel this. Martinez rubbed her head. Awesome, he said, but his heart wasn't in it. He stared down at the end of the table where Hunt was in full giggle with Brock. Ryder suddenly felt sorrier for him than herself. Do you want me to talk to Hunt for you? She said. Hey, would you? he said, but then his hope faded. Ah, she wouldn't care, though. Not with Fletch around with his retarded high school ways. Ryder's goat ears perked up as she remembered that Simone had agreed to lend her the convertible. She may not be with Fletch too much longer, she said. He's taking me to the game tonight. Martinez looked more hopeful, but then his face fell again, and he said, Going like that? You look awesome, but Fletch is a self-absorbed loser. He won't want to be seen with you. Of course he will, said Ryder. He's not like that. You just watch. Four hours later, Fletch hopped off his bike in Simone's expansive driveway. He folded his arms. Rumor's a bitch when it's true, he said. Ryder's ears sagged. Fletch rapped on one of her horns. Can you take it off now? You had your fun. No, said Ryder. It won't come off. It's stuck. Great. So I'm supposed to be seen round town with that? You've totally blown it, Ryder. Ryder's eyes were itching, presumably from the goat fur. Maybe she was allergic to her own head. Can't we still go to the game? She said. I promised everyone you were taking me. The miserable whine of her words hurt her ears, but she had to get Fletch. She just had to. She felt totally rattled by the events of the day, like she just didn't have control anymore. Is this your aunt's convertible? She nodded. He walked around the sweet red ride, ran an admiring eye over its lithe lines. All right, he said grudgingly. But we have to put the top back up so nobody sees you, and you have to hop out a block from the stadium. All right said Ryder in a small voice. She hunched down in the passenger seat, but no matter how small she tried to make her head, she could still feel the horns rubbing against the black final top. You're going to poke out the roof, said Fletch. You should be more careful with your aunt's sweet-ass car. He pulled up a block from the stadium, and Ryder got out, trudged along to the game. Everyone knew that the goat-headed girl was Ryder by now, and the cat calls came from every car that passed. 
Most of them sounded approving, but still, Ryder's horns drooped lower and lower as she neared the game. Fletch was nowhere near the ticket booth, so she showed them her student ID and paid for herself. This doesn't look like you, Ryder, the boy running the cash register joked. Stuff it, Ernie, she said. It sounds like you, he admitted. Fletch was up in the stands, gorgeously relaxed as usual, with freshmen, eighth graders, even Sueys coming up to sit and giggle around his arms. The goat burned deep and low, Ryder's fighting spirit surging back. She trudged up the risers. Out, she said. She lowered her horns at them, and the Sueys at least scattered. Oh, man, said Fletch under his breath. You came here with me said Ryder, and you won't even sit with me because I'm wearing a goat head? You're pathetic. Hey now, said Fletch, I'm not the one dressed like a billy goat. You can carry school spirit way too far. He stood up and headed down the risers, girls following him in a flow of giggles. You get back here, said Ryder. She scrambled down the mountain of risers, ignoring the hoots of, down in front, goat girl, make me. Fletch stalked past the local TV crew to the snack bar. It really matters to you, said Ryder, what weird-ass thing I'm wearing? That's why you've been a total jerk face? Of course it matters, said Fletch. That's what your group is about, isn't it? Ryder fumbled. It's not just about that. One of the TV cameramen ran up to her. Gotta capture this great costume. What's her name? Fletch leaned over to a girl in the gaggle. Francesca, who was part of the pathetic lowest cheer squad, who wasn't even part of the group. I've got a convertible over there. Why don't you and me blow this place? She giggled. Okay. Ryder stood. You think you're taking her in that car? She said. A huge crowd was gathering in the snack bar area to watch the drama. She felt a tremendous urge to either cry or headbutt something. Honestly, why should you care? said Fletch. All you wanted was to get me away from Hunt, and that you did. Merry Christmas. The cameraman swung into her face. Miss Renee Ryder showing tremendous school spirit. Fat, blobby tears came coursing down her gray nose. You give me those keys back right now, you jerk, or, or else. She lowered her horns at him and snorted through her sniffles. Fletch jumped. Chill, chill, he said. He dropped the keys in her hand, looked into the camera and said, Renee Ryder buys her underwear from homeless women. Over her shoulder, aren't I right, Hunt? Hunt shoved herself in front of the camera and Ryder felt her heart plummet to her feet. No, said Hunt calmly, but Fletcher Liberstrom has a third nipple on his chest. Fletch stormed off, Francesca running at his heels. All right, all right, said one of the TV crew. Stop rolling, you idiot. We're not using this. We'd never get the parents' release. The crew went back to the game, which meant the crowd could fill in, the group hovering as if they weren't sure whether to comfort Ryder or start shunning her completely. Hunt stepped between them. What Ryder didn't tell all of you is that it was a bet for charity, she said. She had to go through a whole day looking like a goat to get her rich aunt to donate a bunch of money to important medical research. It was a horrible hot job. Look, the cooling on her costume even malfunctioned. See those things that look like tears? The crowd died away as the drama seemed to be finished. Only the girls of the group were left. Simps tossed her hair. 
Seems like we ought to make a rule about no animals in the group, she said. Hunt looked at Simps with huge disdain. Do you know how many colleges will be begging her to come to their summer programs with this kind of resume booster? We're lucky she's willing to be seen with us. Now shoo! There's still a football game that needs cheering on. The girls drifted off. Ryder snuffled. Why did you help me out when I acted like such an ass to you? She said. Why didn't you just squash me like a bug? Because you don't know everything, said Hunt. Like what friends are useful for. She fingered her hoodie cord. And because your aunt turned me into an emu for an entire week last summer after my mom caught me shoplifting. Pretty hard to do anything with no fingers, I'll tell you. I can't believe we were such idiots over Fletch, said Ryder. You should totally give Martinez another chance. If you ask me, said Hunt, any junior that wants to hang out with Frosh is definitely not going places. She glanced back at the dark-haired boy waiting by the hot dogs. Martinez now? That's another story. Martinez grinned, and it occurred to Ryder that maybe she could just ask Hunt what she thought about making it with boys, and maybe that was another thing that friends might be good for. Now, said Hunt, go freaking apologize to Ms. S, and she'll take that dumb head off of you. So Ryder texted the whole story to her aunt with a big am sorry at the end. She washed and waxed the convertible that night to display her gratitude. When Ryder was finally done, Simone lowered the zip-zap sunglasses once more. Green eyes flashed as she turned curly horns back into hair and snout back to nose. And Ryder and Hunt and the rest of the group went places happily ever after. And welcome back. Ah, junior high. Those are like the best days of your life, man. Or the most awkward. Even if your aunt doesn't magically turn your head into a goat's. That's seriously a trick I'm going to have to figure out by the time my kids get into the old J.H. Anyway, thanks for letting all of us here at PodCastle share another story with you. Now, let's follow the lead of Marty McFly and Huey Lewis in the news and get back in time to the 80s. And this week's feedback... That is, Podcastle 99, M.K. Hobson's The Hag Queen's Curse, read for us by Christiana Ellis. But before we go any further, I should just mention that while this episode was rated PG, this outros definitely are. So if you have any impressionable young children listening, this might be a good time to pause. Still here? Awesome! I think Smell My Head on Twitter summed it up best by saying, Hags, fags, pirates, and warlocks. Awesome. Not everyone was a fan, though. This one actually received some mixed reactions on our forums. Some people found it a little too punny. Oops, sorry. And other people complained that the story didn't have any characters they could relate to, which honestly kind of surprised me. I mean, time-traveling, body-thieving pirates? Warlock first-class naval officers? If that's not you, who are you people? Okay, in all fairness, I believe some of those comments were mocking the mooching would-be punk rocker boyfriend and the cocaine-sniffing goth chick, which, again, I guess I had a different perspective of what our audience did on Friday nights. Oh, well. Hey, hang on a sec. (sighs) 
Okay, feedback. LaShawn said, I'm in the middle of listening to it now. I keep stopping every few minutes because, I'm sorry, I'm just laughing too hard. I find this story hilarious. I think mainly because of Christiana's reading of it. Her depiction of Brady is so f***ing rad. And I just got to the part where Kat gushes about the boots and when she sees the skulls and crossbones. Rapture! I think the reason why I like this is because I'm part of the 80s culture and I've been in situations where you hang out with people you sort of care about at places that are dumps because there's nowhere else to go. Okay, back to listening. As soon as I hit rewind so I can hear Kat gush all over the boots again. <laughs> LaShawn said, fuck. LaShawn said, fuck. Actually, she started out the U and fuck, but still, if you squint your eyes, it totally reads like fuck, man. Talia said, what's not to love about time-traveling, body-stealing pirates? I got a kick out of some of the little details, too, like the mental image of a pirate beating up Beethoven in the street. How can you not think of that in Grin? Dude, Talia, that's so cold-hearted, man. <laughs> I love it. And Secret Pilgrim said, First time posting, but this story had just the right combination of humor, urban magic, and absurdity to draw me in. As an 80s kid, I can totally see some red-lipped, leather-clad shoegazer lusting after a pair of exotic, well-crafted boots while dealing with the disintegration, like the cure tie-in, of a human body at a nightclub or bar. The reader got the voices down pat, male and female, quickly and effectively enough that I knew who was talking without narration, and any story that mentions Depeche Mode and Animant automatically gets high marks. Fuck yeah, first time poster, baby. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself, got a little carried away. I love all you guys, man, but I think I'm going to have to call it a week. Before we go, you want to go to podcastle.org and give us some money? So, like, we can pay our authors and stuff and buy them curly fries, maybe? Please? Awesome. And while you're at it, check out our forum at forum.escapeartist.net. Because really, the posters there are all a bunch of sweethearts, and the discussions there are always entertaining. At least if they weren't before, I'm sure they will be after this outro. We'll see you sooner than you think with a little love letter to all you fathers out there, courtesy of Michael Greenhut's story, Watermark. Until then, be true to your school, try to go places, but don't do anything that would make you allergic to your own head. And we'll catch you next time. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Joss Whedon said, Always be yourself, unless you suck.